Music, news, talk, and sports. WQKR Portland, 1270 AM and 101.7 FM. While the hosts and guests on this program are encouraged to express their views, they do not necessarily reflect those of the ownership or management of WQKR. Good afternoon, Portland. You are listening to WQKR Radio, uh, the loyal opposition. I am your host, Len Asante. Why the loyal opposition? Well, we're a show based on the American ideal that nations like ours benefit when government reflects a diversity of voices and makes space for dissent, and that is our role to air the voice of dissent to the supermajority's policies and ideas. Today on, my sh- today on the show, well, I guess uh, I'm going to run my mouth a little bit about some stuff, and then we're going to have a guest who runs his mouth a little bit about stuff. <laughs> it's probably the most accurate show introduction ever, ever on the radio. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to start off today talking about a bill uh, that has been filed by our favorite state legislator, Representative William Lamberth, Republican of Portland, Tennessee. And then we're going to have a conversation with uh, Mike McDonald, a state election commissioner, also of Portland, Tennessee. Um, and how are you doing this afternoon, Mike? Doing great, Lynn. Good to be with you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. All right. Uh, before we get started, we, of course, have the required preliminaries. It is 62 degrees and mostly cloudy out there. Tonight, low of 57 degrees with a chance of uh, showers and thunderstorms. Uh, tomorrow, high of 63 degrees. Uh, so, again, the weather is... Oh, whenever, whenever, I, whenever I do the show, the weather seems always to be interesting. Okay, um, Mike, we're going uh, to start off by asking you a question that I don't normally ask, but I think you have, a, you have a particular answer to this question. My question is, why do legislators file legislation? What's the purpose of uh, passing a new bill or a new law? What's in general? Usually, Lynn, it either one comes from a constituent who's made a request or two, the legislator has an idea of his or her own. It's something they think needs to be done. I'll give you a, for example. Please. When I was in the legislature, there was no identity theft law. I thought there should be. And so I passed Tennessee's first identity theft law and made it a, a, a felony to steal someone's identity. And nobody came to me with that. I had read about identity theft. It's when it first started. Right, uh, it wasn't a big thing. Always. It wasn't a great like big thing sure. back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I filed the legislation to take care of that. And uh, that, that's an example. So in that case, the legislation came from, well, came from you. Right, right. Can you have an example of a piece of legislation that might have come from a constituent? Sure, sure. I had several. Uh, I had legislation uh, 
that came right here from Portland, Tennessee, on numerous occasions. And, and, and two, I, I, should, I ought to mention number three. Number three is your municipalities. Occasionally, a municipality needed their private act right, modified. Right, they needed private act, sure. And those were requests. And I represented seven cities <laughs> in Sumner County. And so we had to deal with private acts all the time, too. But uh, that's just an example of, you know, how legislation uh, comes to be. And by definition, a private act is a piece of legislation that just affects one municipality. Is, is yes, that correct? Yes, that's, that's, that's the case. All municipalities have some kind of charter, city charter. Right. And the cities from time to time want to make modifications. And those are called private acts. And so the legislature has to approve those. And it's fairly routine. Uh, but nevertheless, we've got to be sensitive to our municipalities. And usually the municipalities themselves ask for these changes. Exactly. Like they would contact you as their legislator and ask right. that you file a bill that does whatever they want it to do. Exactly, right. exactly. All right. All right, well, I want to start off today by um, talking about, before we get into our conversation with Mike here, I, I want to talk about a uh, what sounds almost like a private act, but actually isn't, uh, a piece of legislation. Oh, I should say the uh, in Tennessee we have two seasons. We have fundraising season and we have legislative season. <laughs> and, and this week started legislative season. Uh, the state legislature has convened for its uh, organizational session, and that usually lasts a week or so, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. right? And, then, uh, and then the session proper will begin after that. So uh, the legislature is in session, and so uh, bills are getting filed, and silliness is emerging uh, left, right, and center. Uh, and, uh, but for the next few months, at least, they, they, the legislature cannot... Uh, you can't fundraise. If you're, if you're a sitting legislator, you cannot uh, raise money during the legislative session. So you have to wait until it's uh, adjourned before you can go back to raising money for re-election. So um, fundraising season is over and legislative season, legislating season has begun. And Representative Lamberth here has filed a bill to cut the size of the Metro Nashville City Council in half. Um, for those folks who don't know, the uh, Metro Nashville government is uh, governed by a uh, basically a city council made up of 40 members, uh, 35 district members, and then there are five at-large members. And this number, when I first moved to Tennessee, I thought, oh my gosh, that's a lot of people. <laughs> uh, but if you read a little bit about the history, uh, the first time around when uh, Nashville tried to do the government consolidation, uh, the voters voted it down the first time. And, and one of the reasons why they voted it down was the number of seats uh, in the proposed council. And when they tried it again with the larger number of seats, uh, the 40 that we have now, um, it passed. And we have the consolidated government of uh, Nashville and Davidson County. Uh, and over the years, I've, uh, I've read that there have been a couple of uh, t other attempts to change the size of the Metro Council, and, uh, that, and those have been voted down. So this is not something that uh, the people of Nashville want. Uh, this is not something that the legislative delegation of Nashville, those state representatives and state senators who represent Nashville, haven't asked for this. But rather, it's a, a legislator from Sumner County who is uh, concerned about the size of the Metro Nashville government. Uh, 
And uh, the stated reason for the change uh, is, is pretty interesting, I think. The uh, uh, basic idea is that, uh, and this is a, a Republican ideal of government, that the government works best when it's closest to the people, and that this would make the Metro Nashville government more receptive to the will and the needs of the people uh, who live in Davidson County. Um, although I think that's, you know, um, hogwash, to be honest with you, hogwash. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to turn that up a notch. Not, it's not just hogwash. I'm going to say it's balderdash. That's <laughs> them, them's fighting words. Because <laughs> uh, if you think about it, uh, if you cut the size of the council in half, then each council member will represent twice as many people as they did prior to the... Uh, prior to the to the change and so uh you're if you're a metro national council member you're making about twenty thousand dollars a year uh part-time position you are you have no staff right? not a single legislative staff or assistant uh and you're representing tens of thousands of people and now you uh the state legislature has an idea that they want to double that so now you're representing twice as many people so i don't understand my, my you know my question for um representative lamberth is how does representing twice as many people bring government closer to the closer to the closer to those people uh and uh you know of course the real reason you know everyone's talking about in nashville that this is happening is because the Nashville, the, the Metro Nashville Council did something that the that the Republicans that run the state didn't like. They weren't interested in having the Republican National Convention come to Nashville in 2024. Um, and actually, to be honest, a lot of them weren't interested in even if the Democratic National Convention wanted to come to Nashville in 2024, because hosting a major political party convention is uh, uh, it's not a, not a small thing, not a small thing. So uh, the uh, Metro Council came out against the. Um, came out against hosting the RNC, and the RNC ended up uh, their 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 convention in 2024 is going to be in Milwaukee, uh, where the Democratic convention was last time around, if I remember right. Uh, so um, anyway, so the state legislature now wants to get back at Nashville. So this is like a a, a couple of petulant children fighting with each other in the schoolyard. I don't like what you do. Well, we're going to pass a law to kick half of you out of office. Right, this is not an issue that has been raised by anyone in the, anyone in the state. This is not something that's been on the minds of the people of Tennessee. I have not seen an opinion poll anywhere that says, you know, that uh, the size of the Metro Council is one of those issues confronting Tennessee uh, as we move into 2023. You know, we've got issues with health care. We've got issues with infrastructure. We've got, in, in, we've got issues with transportation. Um, we were just talking, Mike, about how uh, uh, the bypass around Portland seems to have hit a roadblock. Uh, that was approved years ago, uh, and nothing's happened yet. So, uh, you know, we've got uh, the greatest percentage of minimum wage workers of any state in the nation in Tennessee. We have got, um, and we've got one of the very lowest voter turnouts of any state in the nation in Tennessee. So we've got some issues. Uh, but the state legislature wants to deal with the size of the Metro Council. And uh, now, shoot, I don't know. You know, 40 might be too much, right? The ideal Metro Council size might be a number other than 40. And for all I know, it, it might be 20. But has there been any research done? Has there been any studies? 
Has the legislature held any hearings on the issue? Have we heard from government experts? Have we heard from what the people of Nashville and the elected officials of Nashville want? The answer to all those questions as of today is, is, is no. So, uh, so why are we doing this? Um, I don't think, to getting back to my original question to Mike before we go on our first break, uh, I don't think we should be legislating to get back at another legislative body. Uh, I, I think we should be uh, legislating to solve problems, right? to increase our freedom as Tennesseans and as Americans, to deal with the issues that confront us as a community. Uh, and I, I just don't see the size of the Metro Council um, falling under that category. Uh, so the next time you see uh, one of your Republican state legislators, if you see, uh, if you see Representative, what's his name again? <laughs> uh, if you see Representative Lamberth out there uh, on the street, and you probably will because uh, Representative Lamberth, give him credit, is uh, always around and uh, has an excellent reputation for constituent service, uh, ask him. Why are we doing this? Why are we wasting time on this when we should be doing some other stuff? All right, speaking of wasting time, <laughs> we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to have our guest, State Election Commissioner Mike McDonald. Uh, you're listening to The Loyal Opposition here on WQKR. CEMC's prepaid billing program gives members the freedom to make payments when it suits their schedules. Instead of paying large lump sums on a fixed due date, prepaid members have the freedom to make payments in increments that fit in their budget. With only a minimal deposit and no late fees, prepaid can provide the peace of mind of knowing that you're in control of your electric account. Make payments over the phone, online, at any CEMC business office or outdoor payment kiosk. Visit CEMC.org for more information. The Sumner County Anti-Drug Coalition, an organization dedicated to ending drug abuse, is now the Sumner Prevention Coalition. But their goal is the same, helping Sumner County residents with drug abuse problems turn their lives around and get on the road to recovery. Their mission is to unite people with vision, commitment, and resources to provide solutions to eliminate substance abuse and make a difference for youth, families, and individuals in Sumner County. The coalition and its staff of experienced professionals in the field envision a healthy, safe, and thriving community free from substance abuse of all kinds, tobacco use, prescription drug abuse, and underage drinking. Find out how the Sumner Prevention Coalition can help you, and you can help the coalition. Visit them online at sumnercoalition.org. That's sumnercoalition.org. Now's the time to get a great deal on proven Kubota farming equipment. Tractors that are adaptable, versatile, and rated number one in durability and owner experience. Hay tools that are backed by a two-year warranty. And durable sidekick utility vehicles and SSV skid steers. Right now, bring home select Kubota equipment for zero down, 0% 0 APR for up to 48 months. Now through September 30th. Visit KubotaUSA.com for full details. Whether you're on your way to work in the morning and looking to grab a quick breakfast, on lunch break and wanting something good and hot and quick, or just hungry and not sure what you want, the one place you can always find what will work for you is AM Express at the intersection of highways 31 and 52, just off exit 117 of I-65 in Portland. 
They're open 24 hours a day, offer both takeout and Grubhub delivery service, and have the biggest selection of fast food of anyone in the area. Fast food or home-cooked meals, meat in two sides, just $6.49. Delicious Godfather's Pizza, three for $13.99. Fried chicken, chicken strips, livers, and gizzards. Hot, barbecued, and crispy wings. Fish, potato wedges, onion rings, the biggest and best selection anywhere. And Quiznos Subs. Always hot and ready to go. Plus everything else you want to need from a truly convenient convenience store. AM Express at the intersection of highways 52 and 31, just off exit 117 of I-65 in Portland. Get what you want when you want it. Pick it up or have it delivered by Grubhub. AM Express, 615-325-1159. And we're back. Hello, Sumner County. You're listening to The Loyal Opposition here on WQKR with your host, Lynn Asante. 61 degrees and cloudy in Portland. Uh, low tonight at 57 with a chance of rain and even a possible thunder shower. All right, our guest today is State Election Commissioner Mike McDonald. Um, if you can, folks, before we get started, if you've got any questions for Mike, uh, just send us a text message to our text line, 516-440-6310. That is 516-440-6310. And if we have time, we will, take your, we will get to your questions. You can also message us at, uh, at the Loyal Oppo on Facebook. And you can always find us on the web at our website, theloyalopposition.online. All right. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, why don't you start off by uh, telling the viewers, the viewers, telling the listeners a little bit. About <laughs> I guess yeah. it's a good thing they're not viewing yeah, us. Exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I've got definitely have a face for radio. So, <laughs> while I'm sure many of our listeners, Mike, know you, uh, why don't we start with you telling a little bit, telling us a little bit about yourself, your history, uh, what you've done. Uh, who is Mike, and you know what uh, strange set of circumstances led you to be sitting in this chair across from me today? <laughs> well, uh, I've been here in Portland since 1978. Uh, we Does moved. That mean you're still a newcomer? Or is yeah, there... I'm a newcomer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we moved to Sumner County because I took a position as a professor of communications at Volunteer State Community College. And I worked as a professor at Ball State uh, until 2002. Wow. And uh, 20 years. Prior to that, I worked as a professor at Austin Peay State University in Clarksville, where I also served as the debate coach. So I had uh, over 30 years uh, in higher education in Tennessee, and I enjoyed all those uh, classes and all those times uh, that I was at the university and the college. I often see students, uh, I'll be at Walmart or someplace yeah, and, sure. and run into former yeah. students and mm -hmm. that's always enjoyable. In 1994, I ran for state representative from House District 44 and uh, that was part of Sumner County at the time. Um, 
And I was elected in November of 1994, took office in January of 1995. I was elected nine times by the good people of Sumner County. I served 18 years in the Tennessee House of Representatives. And um, I voluntarily left <laughs> in 2012. And um, But I look back on my legislative service, and I'm... I'm pleased with what I did, and I hope the people of Sumner County are pleased with what I did. One of the things, Lynn, that I work really, really hard on, and it takes a lot of hard work, is the four-lane 109 from Gallatin to Portland. People are driving on that highway today. I drove a lot the of way up here. <laughs> a lot of folks may not know what it takes to get a highway like that built. And how long it takes. And how long it takes. And uh, you just have to work with the TDOT folks. I served on the House Transportation Committee for a reason. I wanted to see Paul Deggs, chief engineer of TDOT, every time I could see him. <laughs> and I talked to him often about the need for this because we had that old windy two-lane 109 with no soldier shoulders through the ridge. And so I, I pestered Paul as often as I could. And, so uh, your, your job was to kind of keep our project at the top of his mind, I guess. Exactly. And um, I even took the commissioner of transportation back then. Uh, we met for lunch. Bill Moore was the chief engineer at the time. And I took him on a little ride on the yeah, old highway. Yeah, I was going to say, the best way to do it probably is to show him, right? <laughs> and I just stopped on the old 109 and through the ridge, and I said, look down. And they looked down. They saw a vehicle flipped over down in the hollow. There were a lot of those accidents. And uh, I also gave them the death uh, statistics on that old highway. So anyway, we got it, we got it done. And uh, uh, legislators have to push projects like that. They just don't happen automatically. You have to, you have to worry those folks to death <laughs> because there's so many projects across the state, and there's a limited sure. amount of money. Right. And incidentally, the governor has proposed, I don't know if you've heard about it or not. We talked about it on the show last week, actually. Uh, toll roads mm -hmm. to, help pay, uh, to help generate revenue to pay for highway maintenance and highway construction. Mike, I remember when you were still in the legislature, they passed a law authorizing, I think it was three different toll projects in Tennessee, including a bridge over the river from Hendersonville to, um, I guess, Old Hickory, more mm -hmm. or less. That never happened. No, no. And there's always been resistance to that. The rationale, I understand, is because more and more people will be buying and driving electric cars, sure. you won't have gas tax revenue in the state. You'll still have the federal revenue coming down, but I think they're kind of looking at the future and, and what that may bring. Sure, electric electric vehicles are going to be a sea change. There's no, there's no doubt about that. You know, I, I was complaining about how we probably need as a state to look at a uh, statewide mass transportation policy as well. Uh, you know, you build more lanes, and what happens? You know, they'd fill up right away. We call it, uh, so anyway, what uh, what have you been doing post legislative career? Well, I was elected by the Tennessee General Assembly to serve on the Tennessee State Election Commission, and I'm at uh, near the end of my second four-year term. I've been on the commission for almost eight years. I've thoroughly enjoyed serving, and uh, a lot of people don't know what we do or how that works, but... Well, we're going we're gonna to be asking that question in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, 
each caucus, the Democratic caucus and the Republican caucus, they nominate people to, to serve on the commission, and then the entire General Assembly in a joint session of the General Assembly votes on people to serve in, on, on the commission. There's seven members. The majority party has four members. The minority party has three members. And I'm the Middle Tennessee Democrat uh, on the state commission. And maybe we can talk about what we do here in a minute. We will. We absolutely will. Yeah. All right. Um, I've been asking this question for the last couple of months, holiday season and beyond. Um, but what were you most thankful for this past holiday season? Family, no doubt about it. I have five grandchildren, two children, two grown children, and five grandchildren. Were they all, were they all up at the house they over there? They were all there. Okay. And uh, Christmas night, uh, my son goes to his in-laws Christmas Eve, stays Christmas morning. And then comes over. <laughs> we go to my daughter's house on Christmas morning and spend time with them. And then we have uh, Christmas at our house that, that night. But... Uh, no doubt about it. You know, the gifts are nice and all of that, all the hoopla, but it, it's a family time. And uh, Grandpa plays Santa Claus? Well, sort of. <laughs> Grandpa writes the checks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's, um, even though my children and grandchildren are fairly close, you still don't see them. I mean, we can go weeks, you know, and not see them. Sure, and, sure. Uh, uh, they all still live in mostly around Middle Tennessee. Right, right. Yeah, my daughter and her family live in Hendersonville. My son and his family, they live in Nolensville, down in Williamson County. But, again, they're all pretty close, and we don't have to fly across the country to see family. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I know that. All right. All right, well, uh, you know, I guess uh, the question that is on everybody's tongue, the tip of everyone's tongue, Mike, is what exactly does the State Election Commission and state election commissioners, what do they do? Lynn, we have regularly scheduled meetings that are public meetings. We just had one Monday, and anybody can attend those meetings. And we had some citizens there Monday who uh, want to learn more about, about the uh, election equipment and process and so on. But generally, we have three responsibilities. One, we have to approve election equipment before it can be sold in Tennessee. That's our responsibility. In some cases, we have to go out of state. I've made several out-of-state trips uh, to exotic places like Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> uh, Junket <but> season. <laughs> but we have to go to these places to see this equipment in use in a real election. So you go during an election. Right. right. We're there when they open up at 7 a.m., and we stay until they close at 7 p.m. And even beyond, we're usually there until about 10 p.m., as they get all their boxes, as they wrap up everything. But anyway, we have to approve all of the equipment that's used. And I brought a couple of examples here. Uh, Monday, we heard from Unisys. This is the Unisys package. This is what we dealt with for hours and hours. Folks, it, it and looks hours. pretty thick. It looks pretty thick. It looks like it's at least 50 pages. Yep. And they had a new piece of equipment they wanted to demonstrate, and so we took the time to review all of that, ask any question that we wanted to ask, and they did a good job, incidentally. And we also heard from Hart InterCivic, another company. Here's their packet. 
Air packets thick, not but as thick. Not as thick, thick because they were asking for what we call a de minimis change. In other words, a minimal change in software or something. So this was a very minor thing that was. Uh, so we're already using their equipment, and we just, it, they just, they just went off. It can already software. be sold in Tennessee. That's correct. Mm -hmm. um, all of the companies come to us periodically with minor changes. And if it's a brand new piece of equipment, they've got to demonstrate that, and, uh, and we ask questions about it. So that's what we did on Monday. And among other things, <laughs> I had my agenda here. We also on Monday, first thing we did was approve minutes. We, we also hold Lynn telephonic meetings. If we're just uh, voting on a commissioner or something like that, we'll have telephonic meetings rather than all seven commissioners coming from all across the state. Coming to Nashville. To come sure. to Nashville. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. But that's the first thing we do is approve equipment. Second thing, we appoint county commissioners. Every county has five. Right. The majority party has three, the minority party has two, and that's the case statewide. I represent 33 counties. I appoint 66 commissioners here in Middle Tennessee. And uh, some, all the Democrats in the Middle Tennessee counties. That's correct. Gotcha. That's correct. So that's, we appoint all of them. And the second item on our agenda was to appoint commissioners. <laughs> the, the entire commission has to vote on them. We nominate or appoint, but the entire commission votes on those appointments. Right. And uh, the third thing that we do, Lynn, is to dismiss administrators of election or county commissioners who either break the law or for some other reason uh, that deems a show cause hearing. And since I've been on the commission, we've had several show cause hearings where there were serious complaints about an administrator or a commissioner. We listened to that. It's kind of like a trial. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in fact, some of those people have brought an attorney in to represent them. I bet. <laughs> uh, but we've had to dismiss a few, not many, but we've had some folks, uh, for the lack of a better word, to mis misbehave. <laughs> <laughs> and they're no longer there. <laughs> right, well, uh, and, that's, and that's rare. It's not common sure, at all. Un understood, yeah. But those, right. those are the three major jobs of a state right. commissioner. All right, Mike, we're going to take our next break. And when we come back, we're, well, we're going to talk about election integrity. We're going to talk about uh, how, uh, how, how elections are run in Tennessee and, and whether they are uh, <laughs> whether they're rigged or not, basically, right? Okay. Uh, again, you're listening to uh, the loyal opposition here on WQKR. We'll be right back. At the Farmers Bank, we want to be your bank for life. We work hard to bring you the products and services that will meet your financial needs no matter where life may take you. Whether you're saving for college, ready for retirement, getting ready to marry, or celebrating your golden anniversary, we're here for you. Visit us online at thefarmersbank.net or at any of our 11 area locations to learn more about how the Farmers Bank can be your bank for life. The Farmers Bank, equal housing lender, member FDIC. Hey, join me, Kenny Mann, right here on the queue for the Man Show every Saturday night. You don't want to miss it. I have a time machine. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? That's exactly what I'm saying. I did build a time machine out of DeLorean, and all I've got to do is get you in it. Oh, 
boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's going to be a lot of fun. You don't want to miss it. It's every Saturday night right here on the queue. Oh, my. Oh, boy, oh boy, oh boy. If you were about to have your last McRib ever, you'd want some warning. So this is your notice to enjoy the sauciest McDonald's sandwich more than ever. Because the McRib Farewell Tour has begun. This is your chance to say two final goodbyes to a classic. For a limited time, enjoy two McRib sandwiches for only $6. Hurry before they're gone. At participating McDonald's, McD app download and registration required. Now you can join Planet Fitness and get the PF Black Card for zero enrollment, $24.99 a month, and get all the perks. I love perks. Do you love having access to 2,000-plus locations? Yes. Bringing a friend every time? Hashtag friend goals. And recovering with massage chairs? Who doesn't? Get the PF Black Card and feel spectacular. Zero enrollment, $24.99 a month. See club for details. Still going strong, Steve Austin Music has been a leading provider of instruments and lessons since 1999. They also offer repairs, parts, books, and DVDs at 115 Main Street in Portland. This is Steve. It's exciting to see new items coming in almost every day. Check out our new and used stringed instruments, effect pedals, drums, keyboards, pianos, and band instruments, plus reeds, straps, audio gear, and accessories. Steve teaches guitar, banjo, fiddle, harmonica, bass, drums, dulcimer, mandolin, auto harp, recorder, and voice. He performs monthly at Ellis Taco Mexican Restaurant, 121 Main Street in Portland. Stop and see me at 115 Main Street or call 615-323-0701. Steve Austin Music, a Portland, Tennessee tradition since 1999. Position with your host Lan Asante here on WQKR, where when we're having a conversation with State Election Commissioner and former State Representative Michael McDonald of Portland, Tennessee. Uh, Mike, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show was I wanted to talk about election integrity in, in Tennessee. We hear a lot about election integrity these days: rigged elections, stolen elections, election fraud stopping the steal, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it almost seems that, you know, election integrity has become a, a partisan issue. Most Republicans seem to think the elections are rigged, and most Democrats seem to think they run okay, um, <laughs> at least on the national level, right? Uh, so I think we need to know about, you know, election integrity here in Tennessee. Are elections in Tennessee fair? And, you know, and what do we do as a state as state officials and as county officials, what do we do to ensure that ha makes make sure that that does in, in fact is the case? Lynn, our elections are as fair and as secure as possible. We just don't have any fraud or haven't had since I've been on the commission. And every now and then there'll be some little minor mix-up 
but nothing serious. In fact, the Heritage Foundation, which is a very, very conservative organization, ranked Tennessee number one in the nation for election integrity. And that's because we just don't have a lot of snafus or fraud or anything else. And what, what makes that work, Lynn, are the locals. Uh, you got a local commission, you got local administrators. Most of those people are dedicated. When you've got three Republicans on that commission and two Democrats, it works as a check. And when they handle ballot boxes or whatever it is, you know, all of them are involved. And so that way, nobody's going to mess uh, with results or anything like that. And we have good administrators in Tennessee, I think. I don't know all of them. I know a lot of them. And, and I think most of our commissioners are good folks. They're dedicated to their job. They're not paid a lot of money. But they want to make sure we have fair elections. This last cycle, our coordinator, coordinator of elections in Nashville, uh, mentioned only two things when he gave us the coordinator update on the agenda. One was in some small county, I won't mention the name, <laughs> it was not Sumner County. Okay. Mm -hmm. The administrator decided that he needed to simplify the ballot resolution, constitutional amendment resolutions that were on the ballot. You may remember, I think there were four. We had four, yeah. And, um, and the language is rather lengthy for those constitutional amendments. Yes, they said one of the reasons why the lines were long, um, and in some cases, was because people had to read those. Ideally, people read those things in advance. You would hope, right. <laughs> you, would yeah, hope. you would hope, yeah. But this particular administrator decided that uh, he would simplify that process by writing a summary of those amendments and posting that summary so that when people came in to vote, they could quickly read his summary. Now, obviously, the problem with that is when you leave out phrases or when you insert your own language, that could change the uh, nature of the constitutional amendment proposal. So... That was recognized. It was quickly taken down. <laughs> uh, that's kind of a minor thing. At the same time, uh, it shouldn't have been done, and, uh, and that matter was quickly resolved. The only other issue that the coordinator mentioned to us was the Nashville situation where right. some ballots were given to people, and they voted in the wrong precinct. Uh, and he told us, he said, an election worker, not a commissioner, but an election worker in Nashville made a mistake. And that, that created that problem down there. It was inconsequential in that it didn't change any election results. Um, what all administrators need to do when there is redistricting going on and new lines being drawn, they need to work with the state and make sure that those boundary lines are right and uh, and hopefully avoid the splitting avoid precincts that, avoid that kind of situation because those are those now, are where mistakes can be made now that only happened because of every 10 years as you know district lines are redrawn and uh, that's a new thing in that there are new lines <laughs> So, and sometimes these lines go right down the middle of a street or right through the middle of a precinct. We had a situation, and it was, it was a national situation, had an apartment building. Part of the apartment building was in one district. Another part of the building was in another district. Oh, my gosh. Because of the way the line was drawn. So 
you know, it's, it's a tricky thing. You've got to have balance, you know, approximately the same number of voters in each district. You've got to have that kind of balance. Right. It's got to meet constitutional muster, and, uh, and it's an ordeal. And it's done every 10 years. That's federal mandate. Right. And uh, obviously in Tennessee there's gerrymandering. Uh, I don't like it. But the fact is, Democrats have gerrymandered districts and Republicans have gerrymandered districts. There are few states that do not do that. Right. Some states have uh, bipartisan commissions or have some computer-generated. Right. Right. That's right. I would love to see that. (laughs) And I I don't want to tell you which states now because I don't know who's actually doing that now, but I know some states have done that. I want to say Iowa, for example. And... The, the nature of the, the geography of the state can't even enter into that. If you've got a simple rectangular state like Iowa, it's kind of easy to... Right, you can draw lots of squares. Right, right. <laughs> you can draw lots of squares. And, but you still have to have the population balance, right. too. But anyway, gerrymandering requires, or, or the result of gerrymandering is, that new district lines are drawn, and that happens every 10 years. And some of those lines are... Kind of strange if you look at the map. There's mm-hmm. some interesting shaped congressional districts in Tennessee. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, Mike, I know your uh, uh, expertise is local uh, and Tennessee based, but uh, I do want to ask a question. In your opinion, based on what you know uh, as a, a fan of elections, I guess, uh, do you believe the 2020 presidential election was by and large fair? Yes, there's no question about it. I think there were about 60 lawsuits that former President Trump and his people filed to challenge the election. They didn't win any of those lawsuits. Um, There's just no question that after all those legal challenges and after multiple checks and balances and after scanning ballots all over again two or three times. Recounts, sure. Recounts and recounts and recounts. There's just no question. But uh, President Joe Biden won, and won by a huge majority. Uh, and, Lynn, we ha- we've had people come to our commission meetings, and they'll get up and talk about all the fraud. Oh, you know. Really? And we had one lady, she just went on and on and on talking about the fraud in the presidential election. And when did she they, did, Do they assert that it happened in Tennessee, where Donald Trump won by, like, what, 40 points? Yeah. Well... <laughs> I think she was talking about it generally across the country. Okay. But when she finished, I said, ma'am, we appreciate you coming today, and, and the public's always invited to our meetings, but do you have any proof, any evidence of fraud? And she just stared at me and didn't say a word. You know, you, you can claim this stuff, and you can read stuff on the Internet, but ultimately it boils down to proof. And uh, even in Arizona, <laughs> it boils down to proof, you know. <laughs> <laughs> even in Arizona. <laughs> and they recounted and recounted and recounted out there, and, and President Joe Biden won Arizona. So bottom line is, in Tennessee, we have fair elections. Is there, is there anything that we could be doing in Tennessee to make sure elections are even more secure than they are now? Is there... Is there some new technology or new way of doing things that you've seen that would be better if we had the money? Or Let me mention a couple of things. One, the state-maintained voter files are as secure as possible. I mean just super secure. 
Two, voting equipment is not connected to the Internet. So what that means is a hacker cannot hack into the systems and change votes because they're not online. Right. There's no, they're not connected to the network. Uh, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So they're self-contained units. That's right. That's exactly right. And those aren't new things, but those are two things that make our elections very secure in Tennessee. All right, excellent. Um, Mike, we're going to take our final break, and when we come back, we'll have a couple of quick final questions, and we'll summarize what's going on. Uh, you're listening to The Loyal Opposition here on WQKR, and we'll be right back after these messages. How many financial advisors does it take to ruin what could have been a perfectly secure retirement? Just one. With today's market turmoils, it's never been more important to make sure that your investment strategies are aligned with your retirement objectives. That's why you should always seek a second opinion with an experienced financial advisor, a fiduciary who's obligated to work with your best interest so that you're absolutely certain the tools and strategies that you're using are in harmony with your retirement objectives. Call investment advisor representatives Nathan Cox and Lindsey Cotter of Retirement Income Solutions at 833-299-1416. That's 833-299-1416. It's never been more important to make sure that your investment strategies are aligned with your retirement objectives. That's 833-299-1416. Hey, join me, Kenny Mann, right here on the queue for Wednesday night's Triple Play Sports. It's every Wednesday, and Elijah Jacobs, Phil Tucker, that's Triple Play, and it's right here on the queue. Man, we're talking sports. You don't want to miss it. See you there. Planet Fitness Triple Play Sports, every Wednesday night from 6 until 9 on WQKR, broadcast live and on location from Planet Fitness in downtown Portland. DT McCall is your neighborhood mattress superstore at 1220 Scottsville Road in Lafayette and online at dtmccalls.com. Queenset started only $499.99 at DT McCall for beautiful Amish handcrafted beds and many national brands too. Dr. J's Spinal Series Queen Size Bed started just $15.99.99 and 12 months 0% interest is available. Some restrictions apply. Also this month at D.T. McCall, high-quality, good-looking LG washers and dryers are on sale, starting at just $649.99 each. Frigidaire and Samsung refrigerators, freezers, and ranges are all on sale, too, with big savings and mail-in rebates. Friendly hometown service, great savings in every department, convenient financing, and free delivery within 125 miles of Carthage. Shop where we shop at WQKR. D.T. McCall, 1220 Scottsville Road in Lafayette. In the Portland, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and Springfield area, you'll find the perfect vehicle for your lifestyle at Reiselman Buick GMC, 2516 Memorial Boulevard in Springfield. Hello, WQKR listeners. This is Courtney Reiselman from Reiselman Buick GMC, and thanks to you, we're the fastest-growing dealership in the Nashville area. Here's the thing. Our goal is every customer, every time. 
Our name is Buick GMC, yet we buy pre-owned vehicles all over the country. Mercedes, Toyota, Honda, just let us know, and we'll find it. Did you know our collision and body shop is top rated? Bring it to us, and we'll fix it right the first time. Todd, I, and the team thank you for your support and appreciate your business. We look forward to seeing you. In the Portland, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and Springfield area, you'll find the perfect vehicle for your lifestyle at Reiselman Buick GMC. Open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. until 7.30 p.m. and 8 till 6 on Saturday at 2516 Memorial Boulevard in Springfield. with your host, Len Asante, here on WQKR Radio, Portland, Tennessee. We are talking with uh, Portland resident Mike McDonald, elect state election commissioner. Mike, um, in the August election in Sumner County, voter turnout was 14.5% of registered voters. And as a result, we elected many new county commissioners and school board members with literally a handful of votes. Um, and that new commission has already been sued twice, and I would imagine more is coming. <laughs> and they've had several controversial votes and meetings. Um, voter turnout seems to be a problem. Um, 14, in fact, you, we, we were talking off, off the air about how we even had a tie in Sumner County in a county commission race because the turnout was so low, and, and you had said that there were other ties across the state. There were some, yes. Uh, so. Uh, 14.5%, I mean, that, I mean, to me, that sounds like we're not doing our duty as citizens to vote. What can, we, what can we do to get more people to vote? Is there any magic elixir that we can put in the water or something? How do we get people to care about local elections? First of all, uh, primary vote is always low because you don't have the controversial uh, Democrat-Republican thing going on as a rule. You're nominating candidates. Some folks may not thoroughly understand the purpose of a primary. Uh, I had one fellow here in town, he told me, he said, when I went in, they told me I had to vote in the Democratic primary or the Republican primary. I said, that's right. That's the purpose of a primary. The purpose of a primary is to nominate candidates who will run again in the general election. And obviously, the primary is important because you're nominating somebody who may be the winner in November. Exactly. And exactly. So primaries are important. It's a shame that the turnout's so low. I do know this, Lynn, the Secretary of State's office has committed resources to try to inform the public about voting. And uh, we try to do that every year. Uh, as commissioners, we try to do that. Um, part of the problem, I, my perception is, part of the problem is simply apathy. People get disgusted with politics. They get disgusted with the government. Here's a primary, there's no big controversy, and so they just don't go. Apathy is counterproductive and maybe destructive as far as democracy is concerned. Democracy only works, self-government only works, if people participate in the process. When I was at Ball State, Lynn, I, I'd always bring that up, and I talked about democracy. It comes from two Greek words, demos and Croton, P 
people rule or rule by the people. That's what democracy means. And I talk about that a little bit and talk about politics just a little bit. And invariably a student would say, well, I don't like politics. My response was always, do you like highways? <laughs> do you like bridges? Do you like student financial aid? <laughs> do you like Vol State? Do, do you like your high school? Do you like hospitals and nurses? <laughs> People don't understand, I'm afraid, that a lot of things that we take for granted are the result of elections and the political process and the outcomes of those elections. So apathy is a problem, uh, and I don't know exactly how you overcome that, uh, but I do know the Secretary of State's office and the Division of Elections and the seven commissioners. Uh, we're aware of the problem, and we try to promote elections every chance we get. So uh, democracy works better when more than 14.5% of the people vote. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, nationwide in the presidential election, the turnout was good. Right. It was right. very good. And that's usually the general elections, the turnout's much better because you've got two people. And running. as it was in Sumner County in the November election. Right, yeah, right. It was. It was. But these local elections, you know, in some ways, your local, you know, who your county commissioner is influences your day-to-day -day life more than who your U.S. senator is. Your or, county highways, your county schools, county teachers, all the county services, uh, sheriff's department, everything is determined by who sits on that commission. Exactly, exactly. All right, Mike, we have one, we have time for just one more quick question. Uh, I know you were in the state legislature for, for uh, 18 years, and I know that since you've retired from the legislature, you've still kept up with the goings-on, and I believe you still know some of the folks who are serving down there. And um, Have you noticed any, any changes in Nashville, sort of in, you know, in the tone or the style or the... Is the nature of the legislature as time has passed? Somewhat, Lynn, and I haven't visited while they're in session. I do know some of the legislators who, some of them I served with that are still there, and, and some of the newer members I know too. But what I've been told, <laughs> not having been down there every day, is that it's more partisan than it used to be. When I served, if a Republican had a good bill, I voted for it because it was going to benefit Tennessee. It was good for Tennessee and Tennesseans, right. and vice versa. If a Democrat had a good bill, like my identity theft legislation, for example, you got Repo Republicans, Republicans vote for voted for that. Sure. Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't hyper, hyper partisan like it seems to be now. And, um, and now it seems like if a Democrat has a good bill, a Republican will introduce similar legislation, and that'll be the piece of legislation that ends up going through the process and gets voted on by the full General Assembly uh, at the end of the process. Mm -hmm. So uh, so kind of like uh, Washington in miniature? Maybe not quite that Might bad. Not quite that bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we all know, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's very, very partisan. However, if you look at the, the legislation that was passed by the last Congress and signed by, the, by President Biden, a lot of that legislation uh, was bipartisan. The infrastructure bill right, we got was stuff bipartisan. Done in a bipartisan way. Senator mm -hmm. Mitch McConnell and President Biden showed up right there on the Ohio River to talk about a new bridge, yes, a new bridge. that's going to link Covington, uh, Kentucky with, with Ohio. And um, 
that was not that was a partisan a bipartisan piece of legislation and there were other pieces of legislation that were the uh, the burn pit legislation for our burn veterans pit, sure. that was bipartisan mm-hmm. and there were several pieces like that that were, that were bipartisan I like to remind listeners that uh, Marsha Blackburn voted against the burn pit legislation before she voted for it <laughs> and uh, uh, but yes, that also ended up being a bipartisan piece of legislation. All right. Uh, well, we are just about out of time, Mike. I want to thank you for stopping by and joining us today. Uh, very informative, very useful. Uh, thank you so much for coming by. Uh, we have got uh, a great show coming up for you next week, folks. We're going to have uh, uh, Marissa Richmond, who is a uh, professor at Middle Tennessee State University is going to be talking to us about some issues. And coming up next here on WQKR at 6 o'clock, Triple Play Sports. So until next time, folks, you have been listening to The Loyal Opposition, and thank you for being part of The Loyal Opposition with your host, Lanisanti, and thank you for listening to WQKR. Talk to you next week. day but when the COVID-19 pandemic hit it really made me realize that supplies could disappear quickly so having that go bag prepared was really a sense of relief to know that it was ready to go in case we needed it. Tips for disaster preparedness and suggestions for putting together your own go bag are available from FEMA at ready.gov and you can search go bags on jw.org. same